the same things apply as you go through standing up a gig or crowdsourcing model, but you need to have the conversations up front. That is by far the most important uh, step in the process is getting the buy-in and demystifying what it actually is. So people are actually educated when you go through the process of actually contracting and accepting whatever risk is residual and moving forward with this talent model. Welcome to Catalyst, the Launch by NTT Data podcast. Catalyst is an ongoing discussion for digital leaders dissatisfied with the status quo and yet optimistic about what's possible through smart technology and some great people. Be sure you subscribe to in your audio feed and help spread the good word for these very worthy discussions. And we are queued up nicely today for another very worthy discussion, this time with Paul Livko. Paul is the Chief Experience Officer and Chief Technology Officer at Wellmark Blue Cross and Blue Shield. That's out of Des Moines, Iowa. Paul's career spans leading tech organizations at PNC, First Niagara Bank, and other major brands. And while he was leading teams and digital transformations at major scale, he's also emerged as a thought leader and leading practitioner in using open talent, or you might call it crowdsourcing models, to accelerate digital initiatives. His team's ambitious work in crowdsourcing has won acclaim and awards, and his philosophy of developing an all-in talent strategy for the enterprise even landed him in a recent business book by a best-selling author. We'll get into all that today on Catalyst. Let's welcome Paul to the studio. Paul, happy Friday. How's the weekend shaping up for you, man? Uh, Excited to be here, Clinton. That was a (laughs) very gracious intro. Paul, you and I have talked previously about this topic, however, not on this podcast. I want to bring it to this audience. And in the preamble there, I I use the words, which are your words, and all in talent strategy. So I want to get to the meat of it right away because I think people could start to manifest what does it mean, but there are lots of nuances, a lot of idiosyncrasies to your definition of it. So why don't you break it down for our listeners when you say you want to create foster, and then deploy an all-in talent strategy for your enterprise. What does that mean precisely? Where I'm at now, but I mean, frankly, anywhere I've, I've worked, especially as a technology executive, our team members drive really the work product that we contribute to an organization and the value that we create in a market. And a lot of the competitive advantage that ends up accruing to our place and role in whatever industry where I'm leading a team in. And when I think about talent, an observation I had years ago the thinking was very siloed. Um, You'd have teams talking about their employed team members and how they invest in and develop that talent, which is incredibly important. But then they'd think about the other silo of their talent and their outsourcing. And the term outsourcing was kind of a, a common phrase for two decades. And the observation I had is really the benefit of diversity isn't strictly in what you typically think of as diversity, whether it be visually or the professional experience, but it's how you bring people together, where they come from, what backgrounds they have, whether it's geographical, whether it's industry, whether it's actual diversity of upbringing, that creates the best innovation ecosystem and the best kind of confluence of both ideas as well as conflict um, which generate a better work product end of the day. So I think the like the nomenclature that existed in the industry for decades around talent 
looking at each vertical as kind of its own silo of I'm going to outsource or I'm going to do business BPO or ITO, business process outsourcing and IT outsourcing. And then I'm going to talk about my employed labor differently. Like I really struggled with that because given the importance of the talent you can bring into an organization, I thought that it was missing an important ingredient, which is looking at that pool in a complementary way so that as you're reflecting on how you assemble teams to drive innovation or, or work product for the organization you're in, you can really collect um, the right diversity in order to generate the best possible outcome. It dawned on me quite a bit in certain industries and certain geographies in the U.S. where you get a little less diversity of experience and, and just even kind of standard diversity uh, characteristics of people. And so you lose a little bit of the edge and the innovation. And the way to really ingest that then is to rethink talent. So um, I think it was about four or five years ago that kind of all in talent uh, was a phrase that I shared. And I've really embraced that because it's a new way of thinking about um, how you pull people together in an enterprise from around the globe and depending upon and, and across a various type of employment models, um, whether it be your team members or, or outside, in order to both create a better environment for them to work in, but a better outcome for the organization that they're contributing their talents to and whatever competitive advantage they're creating in the market as a result. So I want, I want to dive one click deeper there with you too, Paul, because I think the listeners who, who might have heard that part of it be like, okay, I get it. You got your internal teams and you got your partners, your external teams. And I think that that big third part of the stool that you had introduced and blended in really effectively is the idea of also embracing open talent or crowd models and bring that into the all-in talent strategy. So can you give a little bit more just for folks who don't know you yet or don't realize, oh, when he's saying outside, it's not just outside partners, like you know your, your big GSI folks that are out there, but there is this another version of outside that also accounts for your all-in talent strategy, which are these open talent models. Yeah, absolutely. So in, in the traditional kind of outside, the, the narrow version, as you pointed out, right. you're limited to some other partner's ability to attract talent. Even if they're a large global system integrator, sure. um, they have a captive pool that you're getting access to as, as an organization, and we would. And then you're also further filtered on kind of the importance of the partnership, the industry vertical, and a whole set of other factors. Um, so the pool you actually get access to is narrow-ish. So the, the third leg that you mentioned, uh, which I'm a big advocate of, as, as you know, is thinking about how you get access to gig talent. Um, and there's really two versions of it for the enterprise that you're able to incorporate into those diverse teams I mentioned. One, there's challenge-oriented work, which is a form of crowdsourcing. And then the other I generally characterize as open talent or gig talent models for the enterprise. And bringing them both in really gets you access to a pool of kind of higher end, uh, in some cases, professionals that want to be independent, have taken that as a profession on their own. But it also gets you access to pools of talent in geographies that don't have the same infrastructure necessarily to compete in kind of the fully developed economies. So it's pretty common these days to hear about global outsourcing models 
whether it be in Eastern Europe or Latin America or India. Um, but there's a whole ecosystem of talent out there that isn't in one of those locations that are really high end, coming out of universities or a couple of years into their career that can contribute in a gig sense to an enterprise. So really bringing in that third stool and that leg of talent around whether it be open and gig work or challenge-oriented work complements what you're doing with the team members you have in the organization, as well as global partners you have. And ultimately, it's a, it's a matchmaking process, right? So it's both a combination of how do you merge them together to create the best high-performing team, but it's also a typical supply and demand matching of where's the right skill set to perform the right type of work. So where's the supply coming from across those three different talent models? And then what demands coming from your, your enterprise um, that best fits the type of work that can be delivered either by your, your team and talent, which my preference is to have them work at the highest possible leadership or informal leadership capacity. And then what can I leverage kind of in normal partnerships and gig talent work um, in order to complement them. So really the horsepower of your internal team is just multiplied. Yeah. So I think there's probably lots of listeners right now that are like, that sounds awesome. It's a great view. And it really sounds, I'm sure to many, intriguing. And they're like, ooh, I kind of wish I had that as that third leg of the stool. And then there's, of course, where the, where the rubber meets the road, where you go to apply it in the real world. And one of the things I think you and your team have done more progressively than I've seen at many organizations is the way you govern you govern work through this all-in talent strategy model. And I'd love for you to kind of give a little bit of flavor of that to the audience as well. So it's like, hey, when new work is coming in or new projects are being decided upon, what does it look like inside Wellmark when it's like, okay, where should this work go? You have, you have more choices than the average bear has because of the model that you're adopting. So how do you decide where the work goes and, and who does that work? Because that itself is work. And we've, we've opted to empower all of our individual leaders. So, and there's really two different modes in which they, they operate. The traditional model where they can go out and get typical global consulting labor. But I'll talk more about kind of how we've integrated gig work and challenge-oriented crowdsourcing uh, because I think it's, a, as you pointed out, it's a bit unique. One observation I had in working through this at a couple of companies now is the engagement model ends up being very similar to what technology professionals would look at as shared services. So whether it is an enterprise APIs team or your analytics and data warehouse team or your kind of enterprise shared services assets like CRM or business process management. So operating model-wise inside of a technology division, you tend to have a team that focuses on shared services. And their, their primary mission is to drive capital leverage, reuse, speed to market, so that the assets that are created are leveraged across the enterprise so that you're getting better, basically, asset efficiency in sure. what you're building and delivering to market. So the aha moment for gig talent was it's one of those things, mm. right? So you typically think about enterprise shared services in tech as some software that was created or some data asset. So we're actually just thinking about gig work and crowdsourcing as an enterprise shared service that is just people behind it. So rather than the leverage being some software that's built that's being reused, 
we have a protocol that has been defined that any team can tap into to kind of break a portion of their work down, which is no different than I would break a portion of work down to go consume an enterprise API, right? So if I'm out building a software application for some end customer, some portion of that work gets broken down, I go consume an enterprise shared service, and it's a contract. I know how to talk to them. I know how to consume it. I know what I'm getting back. It's all documented. Um, And there's a handshake that occurs. For us, gig work or crowdsourcing was the same. So we had our enterprise shared services team stand up a effectively crowdsourcing as a service model that they would broker across our entire division engagements for kind of atomized or small work sets that are part of a larger puzzle that is being built. So the advantage of that is all of our leaders uh, were familiar with how do I engage with shared services? We stood up a, a team, very small, frankly, to focus on how do I create the same protocols, the same engagement models and mechanisms so that as leaders tapped into, I need an API, they were able to tap into, I need the crowd to go build X, um, whatever X happened to be, and that there was a mechanism by which they would expect inputs and outputs back to them, and then they could build it into the overall software product that they are ultimately delivering for the company and what value is being generated for our members in our case um, and in the market. The forethought there is in the planning, right? And then and then the details and the nuances of making it smooth for the people to use it is really a little bit of the, uh, the magic elixir there. And it might seem you've done it now for years, and it might seem, well, that was just common sense to do it that way. But I've been around, you know, the open talent crowdsourcing world for long enough to know that I think few people adopt it in a way that you did to say, okay, we're not going to treat this differently. We're not going to put it off in the corner. It's not going to be some innovation team's little tool to go do rapid something more quickly and doesn't result in business efficiency and business results, you know, getting projects done with more rapidity. Uh, Instead, you made it part of the common practice. And I think that's, um, that can get lost or uh, just not attempted that way. It might be the tougher thing to do in the short term. And I think it's also the right way to look at it long-term to get the buy-in, to make it, again, make it common and not make it some standout thing that has to have brand new special processes around it that diminish the usability is what it boils down to, the usability, access to it. Um, so, so definitely kudos to how you shape that up. So you talked about also you know, projects coming in and then, and then the bit of the project atomization. So how does that part work? Are there projects that your team execute that when they're distilled down into what they have to accomplish to get done as an overall project, that some parts are staying internal, some parts might be a, a traditional partner, some parts are going out to the crowd. Does that happen or is the crowd stuff more isolated than, than that version? I mean, we've had every flavor by now. I mean, I, I would share that There's certainly a pattern that is effective for crowd work and almost all of what we do specifically around challenges. So in a challenge for those that aren't familiar with it is in putting out a essentially a specification out to a a crowd and they're competing for that work. And sometimes it's first to finish. Sometimes it's based on quality. Uh, There's a variety of different ways you can create incentive models to essentially award the award the winner. So for us, when we're doing that type of work, it's what I call disconnected. So it's not that we're sharing internal data. We're not providing them access to our systems. 
So we've designed the interface model basically between us and those and a crowd so that we can take that atom of work and push it out in a challenge ecosystem for people to compete on and ultimately us to get back a work product that meets the specification um, and whatever the incentive is that's designed for the type of challenge. Now, you can do that for a variety of things. So we've done it as simple as legacy application remediation. Got something written in some tech stack that's 20 years old, need to modernize it. The application performs as expected from a business value and outcomes perspective, but difficult to support, upkeep, not based on modern architecture. So that's great work. So the definition of success is fairly straightforward, needs to perform the functions that it performed before, right? So easy to build test cases around, perfect set of work that you can take kind of full stack and give out to challenge-oriented crowd to go compete on. Uh, We've also created kind of smaller portions of implementations. So most enterprises have some large customer relationship management implementation every so often. Uh, CRM platforms are pretty important to drive uh, value in most organizations. And that's a case where you tend to have a traditional implementation partner, one of the large globals that's working alongside your team that has expertise in that platform. So we did that, but you tend to need to kind of bring in a customer 360 alongside of that platform. So that's a perfect case where we went out to the crowd. We had specific modules of the customer 360 that we needed to build and integrate into the overall CRM platform and ecosystem that we took that portion, that atom of work, and designed it in a challenge-oriented manner to go build that portion of, in our case, the members kind of 360 review of their data. And we did that largely because we needed to know that it was going to come back on a certain schedule, that we were going to get the quality that we were expecting. And then when we estimated it with, say, a large traditional integrator using their normal model of working, the crowd was able to do it quite a bit faster and quite a bit more cost-effective. So we're constantly looking at kind of where the right sourcing model is, not just strictly based on kind of where the skill set lies, because a global integrator could have certainly done that work, um, but also like what's the risk profile of the work? What's the cost profile of the work? What's the criticality to our business? Um, and deciding kind of where to shift the kind of atom that you create um, across all of our different labor models. Um, I'd say there's there's one more I'll share too, Clint, that, Clint, that uh, I find incredibly value and is when you multi-crowdsource the same work. Mm. We have in, on occasion when we've had a very challenging problem, um, and these tend to be algorithmic or optimization issues around analytics or models, our internal team will be working on it. A third party might be working on it and will give the same problem to the crowd just to get variation in skill set, thought process, problem solving approaches. And oftentimes it's not one answer. It's taking pieces that we get from each different uh, set of talent and using essentially the best of each to refine what we end up deploying for the enterprise. So much to dive into right there. What I love for the audience hearing this for the first time is that I'm hopeful that there's many folks listening where the aperture for how it could be deployed maybe opened up a couple of degrees, which is which is huge. Because I think what ends up very often, my experience has been, when folks look at crowds, and I, I bet even some folks were, were starting to think when you started to talk about doing things in parallel or getting getting a getting a critical mass around something, I bet there were some listeners in their brain going, oh, he's going to talk about testing. 
And testing's cool. I mean, crowd testing, very valuable. It makes a ton of sense. Like, hey, I want to get in the wild testing. There's some beautiful platforms out there. Distribute it. Great. It's obviously a bit a bit more commoditized in the in the skill level that you know the threshold you need to be able to test. But then you basically drop the bombshell in a way of like, no, we're talking about algorithms, like algorithmic approaches. How do you approach a data science problem? And take that and say, okay, internal team and GSI and crowdsourcing platform or open talent, here's the same exact problem. We'll figure out the data, we'll obfuscate, we'll do all the things to keep it, to keep it secure and go. And, and really in the data science realm, so much of the value comes in the approach. Yes, the code, the algorithm, they, they mean a lot, but the way the human understood a problem and then applies typically near field things or things they've used in other circumstances before, and they apply it to a new problem set, it opens these value doors, not to be so wonky with that word, but, and you just can't get the spectrum of, of results on the table or spectrum of attempts on the table really in any other way. So here you kind of, you know, really, really, I think blow, blow it out the door and say, you know, those really high value stuff, data scientists that are tough to chase, data scientists that I'm sure you got some good ones in and around Des Moines and you could always use more, right? You could always use more, more great minds. So I, I think that's a really cool thing that you blew out there. I don't want to depress the conversation. However, I think I want to flip it to the side of product people listen to this podcast, right? They want to push and get new products to market and understand ways in which they could do that. And they're probably sitting there going, this sounds really cool. I've got to go have a conversation with my CISO or somebody in security is going to come knocking about the philosophy of applying open talent to work. How could you help them? Like, what are some main points if it were you to say, okay, you got to go have that conversation. How are you addressing it? And in a concise manner for a podcast, how are you getting the CISO comfortable with this philosophy? I've been very fortunate to have some top talent CISOs in most organizations I've worked, which helps. Sure. I, I'll share time, yeah. something. I'll, I'll share an observation unrelated and then tie it into how I would go about introducing crowdsourcing to an enterprise for the first time. So cloud computing, completely unrelated, however, has some of the same symptoms. So conversations with risk, compliance, CISOs, et cetera. Many organizations today still struggle with adopting public cloud infrastructure from the largest hyperscalers. But yet, those same organizations have been running outsourced data centers with a third party for decades. So some of the challenges that appear on the surface have actually been accepted for long periods of time. The same is somewhat true when you think about access to crowds and crowdsourcing and gig talent. There is still another company, um, a platform company, that is aggregating that gig talent. Um, there's still a relationship between the enterprise, so where I'm, where I'm at, and that platform company. Um, and all the things that you would normally still do, whether it's operational risk management or actual threat intelligence and other tactics you deploy typically to manage risk around security in particular, they all still apply. Uh, so step one. As you're entering any new venture, get the leadership team involved early. So CISO, head of risk, head of compliance, legal, possibly audit, depending on your organization, procurement, uh, get them at the table, educate. So spend some time 
teaching and educating and advising uh, with either outside experts or yourself if you're fluent on the topic. Um, so they understand like what is crowdsourcing, what is on-demand and gig talent, what's the ecosystem look like, how big is the industry, who are the players. Many of them are now owned by much larger enterprises. So start somewhere that is comfortable to your organization, but it's a conversation to have with all of the leaders of those functions right out of the gate. Don't wait to do that. I think what you'll find is this access to talent and this talent model is not different in the way that you need to think about and implement the same process controls, operational risk controls, security controls, um, the same things apply. Um, as you go through standing up a gig or crowdsourcing model, but you need to have the conversations up front. That is by far the most important uh, step in the process is getting the buy-in and demystifying what it actually is. Um, so people are actually educated when you go through the process of actually contracting and accepting whatever risk is residual and moving forward with this talent model. The commonality here is the way in which you approached governing the work and bringing open talent into the organization so it can be deployed and saying, hey, we're going to make this common. And then the way in which you brought the philosophy to the organization, and just like you would any other technology stack that you've got to get through, you know, you've got to go talk to them about. And um, both of those things are not putting it in some experiment of silo that the business doesn't, like shadow, shadow IT, business doesn't know about. Because to me, it's always like, it's always about enterprise scale. There are things in which people often say they want they, they want to act like a startup. We want to be more like a startup. And I always push back on that. It's like, yes, yes, in some ways there are aspects I'm sure you desire. You know, the velocity, some of the, the agency, some of the freedom, of course, of course. And what we're operating, this audience, myself, yourself, we're operating at large scale enterprises. And there are right ways to do things so that you can get to scale. And often there might just be these like stories in people's heads that prevent you from doing what you just said, which is like, hey, bring them in early, get them to the table early to have to have these very honest discussions. And I think you there was one nugget in there also where it's, hey, if you need to go get help, there are the crowdsourcing or the open talent platforms out there or the experts out there that they want adoption, of course, as well. So they'll be a partner with you to come in the room and say, let's talk through this together. Like, what are your concerns? Let's, let's, let's get very human to human on, on what do you have in your head that you think might go wrong? So the ability to tap into some of the expertise, so it's not just you bringing a piece of research forward, that's valuable, but they could poke and prod at someone that, that is the platform, if you will, or is the VP or, or, the, or the founder of, of one of these platforms as well. So it's just an interesting wrinkle that I think it, it's good for people to think about that there's willing partners out there that will do some of this lift with you. Yeah, 100%. And for those that are new to this space and need that support, two organizations in particular that uh, you should tap into right away. One is Open Assembly. It is a community of open talent advocates. Um, it's fairly open community. It is the place that I wish I actually showed up to more often. Um, my schedule uh, allowed me, but it's the thought leaders in the community that are trying to advocate for supporting people that are actually gig workers, uh, but also helping enterprise access that talent. And the second is the Center for Transformation of Work. One thing you'll find is kind of you venture into this space. It's a bit like the land of Oz, 
there's a lot of new nomenclature, a lot of new language, some new concepts you're probably unfamiliar with if you're first time crowdsourcing. Um, and the Centers for Transformation Work is really trying to help, along with OpenAssembly, help provide some common infrastructure and common standards and eventually certifications around gig work and open talent platforms for enterprises. So it helps make it more approachable. But those are two great organizations, if you're curious, to tap into, which I think will help quite a bit in uh, supporting an enterprise adoption. Yeah, which is great because I, I want the listeners to get the useful nuggets out of this. So if they if you are peeking them in that way, like, okay, now they've got an idea to go to go check out those orgs and dive into what's available because there's a lot of content they make available. And and again, it's a lot of it's about making this more common, not making this something that causes an allergy or should cause an allergy. But no, it's another method that in 2023, given the technological advancement and, and just the ability for folks to work securely from wherever they might be, whether they whether they are digital nomads or they just happen to be in a, in a geography where that's where they live, that you can get to that talent successfully, consistently, and in, in a way that um, can help the enterprise. And I, so I want to get back. So leaving the CISO and the security uh, discussion where it is now, we know it will come up. So great advice about getting them into it early. You've been at this for a number of years using this all-in talent strategy. And yet I, I imagine it, it's it's not always hunky-dory and I'm sure there are still legitimate adoption challenges across the enterprise. What have you learned but beyond security? What are some of the things that do come up that are legitimate that people should understand? Like, okay, this is a thing. I don't want folks walking into it as like a Pollyanna. I bet, but don't think they would be, but you've been doing it for a number of years. So what are some of the some of the things that you could share that like, hey, these might be some more crunchy things. Think about them now and then maybe help them get a little ahead of the game. Yeah, no, it's, you're, you're right. And it's something that uh, the organizations I, I talked about are, are trying to solve. But I'll, for, uh, for the listeners, first, if you're familiar with agile adoption, one of the struggles that team members have uh, moving from kind of an old waterfall style of uh, software development to agile is breaking work down into increments or sprints the same problem exists for atomizing work. Hmm. So the mental model and the mindset shift is very difficult. And I by no means have perfected it. Uh, maybe we're more, slightly more successful than some, but it is a constant work effort for our teams uh, to think about. And it's not just for atomizing for crowd, but it's also atomizing for driving leverage and reuse and also the more you can atomize your work, the faster the machine of a large enterprise can actually operate to, to some extent. So that is a worthwhile cause for multiple reasons, but it's one of the biggest struggles um, in adopting crowdsourcing at scale, getting the teams to at in a large enterprise to understand how to break down work um, and be confident that it's going to come back when they need it to come back continues to be something that needs uh, focus and attention. Um, and probably some more bright minds trying to solve that problem as well. The second is, as I mentioned, there's a couple different models. So getting access to open talent and gig talent and you badge them into your enterprise is a little more traditional, yeah. um, but a great way of stepping, uh, putting your toe into on-demand talent. But challenge-oriented work becomes a little bit more difficult to execute um, as it pertains to kind of endpoint protection and understanding how you want to deploy your kind of controls and workflows 
so that when you get back work from the crowd, which is completed by a variety of people across many geographies, you can seamlessly integrate it to your enterprise. If you think about the challenges as a technology executive or product executive in kind of continuous development and continuous delivery of software, think about that now spanned across your an internal uh, product team, but also a crowd. Anything that you thought of that was challenging to deliver kind of CICD at scale for a product team, it gets much more complicated when you're integrating a third party that has challenge-oriented incentives and is delivering at kind of a different pace, um, sometimes faster, how do you bring that back into the same cadence that your team's operating on, that your team typically has a fairly structured set of ceremonies and processes and rituals and timeframes that they're actually integrating and building and deploying and testing their software. You have to think about the continuous integration and continuous delivery process at a whole different scale. Uh, because it's not just a captive set of people that are on a product team. They're also being extended by a, by a crowd. That's probably the second largest kind of mental model and process engineering shift that you have to sort through of how to effectively integrate that. Otherwise, the, the body sort of rejects the kind of outside factor that's trying to be integrated to it. And you're not going to get teams wanting to shift that atom of work out to other third parties anymore. And we we started at the at the top where, where during the preamble I, I hinted that you were you were featured in a new business book and now if the folks that are that are listening to this episode I think they know why right you you do have a, a really large depth of knowledge and again the, the nuances and the idiosyncrasies of how this how this can work well for the enterprise and keep driving towards more scale it's not the unicorn it's not it's not the Pollyanna thing where you you turn on you turn on a light switch and all of a sudden you've got this hugely successful adoption of open talent or crowd and it's just, it's there and it's, it's forever there and, and it's so smooth. It's, it's woven right in. There are legitimate things to do to bring it into an organization to keep pushing and keep innovating towards more and more usage, more and more scale, not just the type of work, but the way the work gets done. And I really appreciate that you've tackled, you've tackled all those angles and I'm teasing the book. So you were featured in a newer book by a really stellar author, Keith Ferrazzi and the business partner, Keon Gohar, who is a, a friend of a mutual friend of you and I, the book is called competing in the new world of work, how radical adaptability separates the best from the rest. And I wanted to kind of just poke a little bit about what was that process like? What was, what was Keon asking you about? And then the follow-up is, Yes, you have a lot of knowledge in, th in this space. When you went through the book, was there a nugget or two, a new inspiration, new story that you were able to grab from it that you weren't aware of yet? No, I, I appreciate that. Uh, and Keon's, Keon was great. He's awesome. Uh, yes, I would love to participate in another opportunity with him and Keith. The story that uh, we really dug into as part of the book, uh, which I, I still find fascinating, but also I'm, I'm happy if it never happens again. Frankly, uh, so it was, it was 2020. We all remember 2020. Yeah, we get we get to March. Uh, we started having a shutdown uh, from the pandemic, and I we had an all in talent strategy uh, where I'm currently working at uh, same place then, and uh, we went through a cycle of talent disruptions. I mean, everyone everyone did. Yeah. Uh, so the first one was U.S. shutting down. So everyone reorienting themselves to what hybrid and remote work was. We were pretty seamless. However, I'm I'm sure if you've tried hard enough, you could measure some amount of disruption in that workforce. 
until you get back to like the new equilibrium of the team performing in whatever new location they're working from. We had a partner, in, a global partner in India. That shutdown was much more drastic, if people mm-hmm. recall, in 2020. Getting that workforce, where many didn't have laptops, actually back online was quite challenging for many enterprises. Mm-hmm. And that happened about three weeks after the U.S. In our case, in Iowa, we had a weather event that occurs every 40, 50 years, something in that nature, we called a derecho, uh, where we lost power for a number of our team members for an entire week um, in a lot of the local geographies. So that's when people were working at home. So it's another version of disruption. And then about a month later, this was all during the first half of 2020, uh, we had a partner of ours that we chose to take offline out of an abundance of precaution for security reasons, Mm. um, which turned out fine, but that we lost for about three to four weeks. Uh, So over the period of, it was roughly three months we had multiple labor disruptions. And happily, we still met our obligations. We're obviously an important organization in the middle of the pandemic. Um, so we made sure that we kept fulfilling our promises to our members and our clients. But going through that and thinking about our all-in talent strategy, the crowd was the only one not disrupted. And one of the main reasons, and it's not a large percentage of our work, um, but it contributes to a lot of the innovation, is they're all over the place. Like they're fairly resilient and diversified Mm -hmm. across geographies. So at any given time, and especially an incentive model, we're pushing work out for competition. Someone's going to compete. So it's just a, it's a little bit of a different delivery model that provides more resilience. Um, And it was a great story to tell Keon in particular and have a good discussion about it. It's a great read. And Keith and Keon's book is fantastic. You asked what I took away from it. There's a page early on about remote coaches. And it, it reminds me, and I've, I have a coach, I've, I've had one for a while and, and love the conversation. It always reminds me when I was reading that, that there's a lot of different gig work, whether it's an enterprise or your personal life, like there are plenty of opportunities to multiply a person on the back of a lot of talented individuals and services. So one thing that I continue to have a vision for and have yet to exactly figure out is it'd be a great one day to provide every software engineer in our organization, an army of software engineers in the crowd that they can tap into on a one-to-many basis to really empower them to be more effective and contribute more value every day and every week to our organization and to our members and clients. And thinking about kind of the chat, there's a, a blurb on personal coaches it's the same concept for leadership. So I'm always thinking about like, where can I go get the best insights for myself um, and for others on the team? That answer tends to be through a bunch of on-demand resources. And that's what you're frankly seeing in enterprises with ChatGPT these days. Like that is an on-demand resource that is built on the wealth and intellect of lots of contributions over decades of time that is another atomization of your work and my work. So it's another way of thinking about breaking down my day and my tasks and our team and our tasks into what atoms exist and how do I push those out to the best possible resource to get the best possible outcome so that the sum of all the parts contribute more value to the company. um, And ultimately that contributes more value to our clients and our members in our case. 
I love how we're, you know, we are landing the ship and I love how we've landed it with the idea of this like individual human resiliency through these platforms and and you getting that, you being reminded of that through through the book we're talking about. And really we evolved this entire conversation of this all in talent strategy. And at the end of it, it is this payoff of business resiliency. You've got to this point of where you, you just went through a smattering of serious and, and very hopefully once in a lifetime culmination of disruptions that you went through in very specifically in your geography too with the weather event in Des Moines and then of course globally we, that we all went through coming through it all is the kind of the consistency of the ability to go still yet in spite of all that get to talent because the work the work had been done in a mature way so that you, you could do it at an enterprise level so you could avoid that disruption. So really cool, really fun place to end it. And Paul, I know you got a big weekend ahead. I know you'll be out on the links. I hope you hit them straight. You have a lot of fun. And we just want to thank you so much for joining us today on Catalyst because in the studio, we believe in shipping software over slideware that fast will follow smooth and aiming to create digital experiences that move millions is a very worthy pursuit. Join us next time as the pursuit continues on Catalyst, the launch by NTT Data Podcast. Paul, it was great to have you on, man. Likewise. Thanks, Glenn. Thank you. Thank you.